study the scriptures together. You want to? Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. As you know, we're studying through the book of Luke. This is, I think, this is week 19. We've been doing this 19 weeks. We just have a few weeks left uh, as long as I do one chapter a week. And we're just choosing things in each chapter to highlight the story of Jesus, uh, what, what he was doing, how he was changing people's lives, and what that looks like for us today. And so the story of Luke is a fantastic story. And I want to jump in here today right to the story uh, that is in uh, chapter 17. And I, I want to I couch it in, in these terms. I, I want... I want us to look at this story. I want to look, look at this chapter. Actually, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. And as we look at these 10 verses, I, I want us to understand what Jesus might have been saying, obviously, to the original hearers, right? The, the people that were around him. What was he trying to teach his disciples? And then we're going to look at how it applies to us today. The, the, the background and the the context for what we're looking at in Luke is, Luke is a fascinating writer, and he highlights several different things. But one of the things he highlights often is Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders, uh, namely the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Pharisee actually means separated. This, these were the Jewish people that were the most committed to the word of God and most committed to knowing the scriptures as they knew them and the prophets and the Torah. And so these guys were so consumed with what had been that they could not see what was coming. They were so consumed with the the rules and the regulations that they could not see the revelation of relationship that God was sending into the earth. God was always interested in relationship. He sent his word as a mark of that relationship. He always wants his people to obey. But Jesus was ushering in a new age, a new way to understand who God was, who God is, and how he's trying to reach his people. And so I want you to think about it through this context and what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and the title of the message today is The New Community. Jesus was ushering in a new community of believers, a new way to work together, a new way to understand our relationships with one another, a new way for God's people to function. All right, so I, w- I want to look at this, and let's start with verse 1 in chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. (laughs) Everybody say amen. Sin is here. It is rampant. It is in us. Jesus says, look, it's going to show up. Sin is going to come. And where where does it come from? This is a good first question. Where does sin come from? James says that sin comes from deep inside us of our hearts, in our desires. And our desires lead, give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, he says, gives birth to death. Jesus said the same thing in the Gospels. If you notice, he said, it's not what on the, what's on the outside that corrupts a man or pollutes him. It's what's on the inside that comes out that corrupts him. 
And so Jesus is saying, look, sin is going gonna, is gonna to come, but woe to the, that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Do you ever notice that Jesus sometimes says things that are a little intimidating? Like he's essentially saying here, look, sin, there's no, sin's going to come and, and actually... Jesus was God's solution to all sin, right? And he knew that. So sin is not the problem, but there is a problem that Jesus is pointing out, and that is the guy through whom the sin comes to poison other people and to cause them to sin, right? To, to help in the process. And so Jesus is saying it would be better for a millstone, which was a, lo- which was a large stone used for grinding uh, grain into tiny little pieces, there, the millstone to be tied around your neck, put on a cement suit and be thrown into the river. That's what he said would be, now get this, that's what he said would be better for you. <laughs> It'd be better because this is so serious. So there's a, there's a way in which we approach God that I think is really reverent and serious. And it's awe-inspiring. And we need to have a reverent fear of the Lord when we approach Him. But it's a reverent fear that produces, that brings something else. What does it bring? Once you've established that, man, I, if I disobey, if I, if I am disobedient, there. There are real consequences to this disobedience. But Jesus, Jesus has come to bring life. He has come to bring sacrifice. He has come to bring the penalty being paid for every sin that you and I will ever commit. If we will trust in and rely on Jesus and his work, if we'll have faith in him, if we'll embrace him and say, Jesus, I am helpful, helpful, I am helpless, and I need you to be helpful to me. (laughs) I need to be helpful to others, so would you please save me, rescue me, get rid of this sin that's inside of me. And you know what that leads to? Dancing. Dancing, it leads to happiness, it leads to joy, it leads to, it leads to overwhelming gratitude and happiness. I, I, my wife showed me a video recently, I thought captured this perfect. It's of a baby whose mom is blowing her nose. And, and you got to see this, it's, it's hilarious. Let's, let's watch this together, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. 
Big Baby. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is fantastic. I think this is kind of like the way we see God. It's like, oh, 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 yeah, awesome. Oh, oh, yeah, fantastic. I don't know, I'm just weird. It just seems to me that Jesus is giving us a warning. That he is telling us there's something really important here in the gospel message that if we'll listen, if we'll see it, it will save us from heartache. It will help us understand who we are and what we're supposed to be about in this new community. If you go to the next verse, he says, so watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Be on your guard. He's warning them. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. To which the disciples replied, uh, we don't have enough faith for this. <laughs> this sounds too hard. What are you saying? We have to forgive people seven times in a day? That's that's unreasonable, Jesus. There's a sense to which the, the disciples are saying, okay, I get what you're saying. We need to rebuke one another and we need to forgive one another when we repent. And, but I don't think I have enough faith for this. Help me understand. Help us understand how this is supposed to work. What do we need to have faith in? It's interesting, Jesus responds to this. And he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. What are we supposed to have faith in? We're supposed to have faith in the work that God has done. In the we're supposed to have faith in the work God is doing doing in our lives through Christ. We're supposed to have faith in Jesus. And Jesus responds to their ask for faith, their, their quiz about faith and what, how, how they can accomplish what he's just told them. And he, he says to them, look, you, if you have even the tiniest, smallest bit of faith that you can say to this tree, go get in the sea, and it'll go. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, look, faith, it is so powerful that it can move heaven and earth. If faith can move heaven and earth, you can do what I'm asking you to do. And it doesn't take a great amount of faith. This is really what he's saying. It doesn't take a lot of faith to forgive your brother. It doesn't take a huge amount of faith. In fact, it's not really about quantity because faith is so concentrated. Turn to your neighbor and say it's concentrated. It's always fun to watch the resistors. Concentrated. Have you ever, have you ever used super glue? 
super glue is like this really tiny tube. It seems like it lasts forever. Why does it last forever? Because you hardly use any of it. When I was a kid, I was growing up, I remember you used to have that commercial, you know, the commercial with, with the guy in the heart hat, and he'd put it like a tiny little thing on his hat and then stick it to a beam, a big old beam, and he'd hang there with his legs. Anybody else see that? Yeah. I was like, what is wrong with that guy? That's not what the super glue should be used for. That's dumb. Super glue is this incredible invention. It, you only need a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. It'll fix everything. It's awesome. This is kind of what Jesus is saying about faith. He's saying, he's saying all you need is a little bit. And you'll have the power that moves mountains it changes your environment. If you'll just believe in me, if you'll just put your trust in me, if you just put your faith in me, not your faith in yourself, not even faith in your brother or sister, not faith in someone else to do the right thing for you, not faith that um, you're uh, you know, good enough and smart enough to figure out somebody else's problems. Not, you have to have faith in Jesus and him alone. Faith in yourself is not going to work. Faith in your own ability is not going to work. Faith in others actually is not going to work. Because make no mistake, people will disappoint you. They will. There's only one who is faithful, and his name is Jesus. He says, if you just put your faith in me, if you just put your faith in God, you can move heaven and earth. And the power that is there is available to you. And, and what Jesus was saying I thought was interesting. He's saying it's already in you. He's kind of, he's saying, like, something's, it's, that faith in me is already in you. You're already following me. I was watching the NFL draft this week. Any of you guys watch the NFL draft? It was crazy. I was watching. What I love about the NFL draft is you never know who's going to be taken. They guess, and then there's always a curveball, and they take somebody different. But what I love about the draft is there's this question out there, and it's hanging over the NFL draft. You know, they got thousands and thousands of college students who play football, and yet just the elite are going to get drafted into the NFL. And so they have like seven rounds, and they go through these seven rounds, and it takes like three days, and the really obsessive NFL people, they watch ESPN constantly during this time and get updates on their phone. It's really sad. But there's, there's like a there's big, big question. The big question is, is, is your team going to be able to pick the right guy? Will you pick the guy that has it? Or will you pick the guy that just doesn't have it? Do you know who Tom Brady is? So most of you might know who Tom Brady is. He's quarterback of the New England Patriots. And he is, has been in like five Super Bowls. And, and, and he, he was a sixth-round draft pick. Sixth round. It took him six rounds to get to Tom Brady. And he led his team to five Super Bowls. There's, there's a, a, I was just reading the news this week, and Aaron Rodgers got, finally got paid $40 million. Aaron Rodgers is the court. I know, it's disgusting, isn't it? Something sinful about that, I think. I don't know. All the poor people in the world, it's incredible. $40 million to watch a guy throw a pigskin. That's almost enough to make me stop watching football. Not quite, but almost. He gets paid this enormous sum of money, but notice he didn't get he didn't pay he didn't get paid that much until he until he won the Super Bowl. And here, here's what I'm saying. It's as if Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, 
You've already got it. It's already in you. The faith that you need to do what I'm asking you to do when you follow me, if you'll just listen to me. If you just listen to my voice, that's, that's all that needs to happen here. When you listen to my voice and you choose to trust in me, you have all the faith you need. It's like Jesus is drafting you. He's saying, you got the stuff. You've got it. You've got it. You've got everything you need. And so then Jesus here, he is, he is expounding on this. He, he talks about faith, and then he talks about the, the, just the seed as a way of understanding how small your faith is might be and still have power. And then verse 7, he launches into this story. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, if you have a pen, take your pen and underline that phrase right there. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. What is Jesus saying here? This story can seem a little bit disconnected from the rest of the passage until you understand that Jesus is trying to convince his disciples that this is really the most simple, the simplest thing you can do. And it's interesting, he's, he's telling the story through a master and servant relationship, and he calls the servant in from out, outside, and he's been working outside, and then, then he, does he say, hey, the master doesn't say to the servant, here, sit down and eat. No, he says, prepare my meal, finish what you came to do, and, and then you can eat. And the servant says to himself, this is my job, this is what I do. This, this, it's as if the servant is saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. Jesus is saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is the baseline. We forgive people. The baseline is we think about other people more than ourselves. This is what he's saying. He's saying this story is about just doing one thing really well, and that's listening to my voice and doing what I've asked you to do. And when you do what I've asked you to do, you, like that's, that's, that's what you're called to. My wife this morning, she hears from the Lord often. She does. And uh, I need to learn that more, <laughs> that when she speaks, uh, God is speaking to me. It's really true. Did you know that one of the ways that God speaks to you is through your spouse? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, you don't know my spouse. I don't know. <laughs> no, she, she was speaking this morning. She felt like the Lord was saying something about hearing God's voice, and, and it's related to the message here. In John 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I want them to know my voice. And she said, she said it was like the Lord told her, sheep don't do much for their shepherd. I mean, just think of it. A shepherd and a sheep. Do the sheep go around doing stuff, accomplishing stuff for the shepherd? <laughs> no. 
There is, a, there is a sense to which we as the sheep of God's pasture try to do things for him. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You try in your own strength, your own capacity, your, your own understanding. You try to do things. You try to be holy. You try to do the right things. Look, this is exactly what Jesus was pushing back against with the Pharisees. That's not the way it works. Jesus said, really, all I want you to do is I want you to hear my voice and I want you to obey. That's it. And this is baseline Christianity 101. Hear God's voice and just do what he says to do. But here, he's highlighting some things that he wants us to understand when he's teaching his disciples. So I want to give you three points. Here they are. You ready? Three ideas that I want you to get here. Number one, he wants the new community, the new community that's being ushered in, the community of God's people, to be focused on the new community. Right? Don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not saying at the expense of being focused on Jesus. The disciples are already sitting there listening to Jesus. They're already following him and they're learning how to do it better. What he says is, you need to be careful about sin and you need to be careful about how it affects and influences other people. Because that's serious business in the new community. I am not interested in you just being consumed with yourself and what's going on around you and just kind of dealing with your own responsibility. I'm interested in you being concerned about what other people are going through. In a sense, he's, he's restating the second greatest commandment. Do you know Mark 12? Mark 12, 28 through 30, Jesus says to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he adds to it, he says, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It, he's, it's as if he's saying, we can't just, you know, we can't just quote that verse and think that it means be nice to each other. We can't just quote it and say, oh, that, it, it means more than being nice. It, it, mean, it means I want you to be involved in the kind of relationships that really are meaningful. In God's kingdom, we are not just responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for one another. You might think to yourself, well, I, how, man, I, I, I can barely get myself figured out. How am I supposed to help figure out somebody else? Listen, this is the design of the new community. Not isolated and individualized, but working together with a group of people, acknowledging that all of us have sin, and all of us are wrestling, and all of us need forgiveness, and all of us need to be rebuked from time to time. You need to be rebuked from time to time. When was the last time somebody rebuked you well? I bet it's been a long time for some of you. Jesus is saying here that he wants us to be the kind of community that will think about what our actions are producing in others. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you look at this, if you're following me in your Bible, turn, turn over there. If you're following me on your smartphone, turn on your smartphone and, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in this passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And what he's saying to them, he's talking about idol worship and, and food that's been sacrificed to idols. In the first half of the chapter, he's essentially saying, look, 
food sacrificed to idols is really not that big of a deal, all right? I, 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 don't, I don't believe idols have any power. I serve the one true God, and so I don't care what anybody's done to sacrifice meat to an idol. It doesn't make any difference to me. The meat's good. I eat it. That's essentially what Paul is saying. It doesn't bother me. This is not a big deal. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Be very careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what, he has, what has been sacrificed to idols? Now, I want you to stop right here and just look at me for a second. The, the, the meat that was sacrificed to idols often was done by the, a butcher type of person, and it would have been sacrificed when it was prepared to even be bought, to even be purchased. And so, or, or they, the people would go into these places of business, and there would be idol worship going on. With this meat around, and they, you'd pick it up, you'd eat it there, or you'd, or you'd take it with you. There's, there was, you know, there was really um, this process where idol worship was very common. And so Paul was trying to teach the Corinthian church not to be involved in idol worship to serve the one true God. Not to allow their faith to be synchronized with other pagan religions. He's trying to teach them this. So he, so he says, he uses this example. He says, if, <coughs> excuse me, if you're, if you're, somebody is buying meat in an idol's temple here and, and you're going there to get it, might you attract the person who has a weaker conscience back to idol worship because they're just following your example? He's essentially saying, if they go into that temple, that's much more difficult for them. If they go into that place of business, it's much more difficult for them to resist because that's what they're just extracting themselves from. They're trying to learn how to serve the one true God. They're trying to understand who he is, and they're trying to turn away from idol worship and to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, you can't go into one of these places and eat what has been sacrificed to idols. He says, so this weak brother, verse 11, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when sin against your brothers in this way, uh, sorry, when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Yeah, think of it. Thanks, Dad. Think of it. Verse 13 says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is how serious it is to Paul. This is how serious it is to Jesus. The, 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 the point of the community, the new community that God is putting together is that they will be the ones who will look after one another. The, the point of making disciples, now follow me here, the only way you can make a disciple is if somebody will think this way about a weak believer, about a young believer, about a person who doesn't even know the truth yet. The only way we get to make disciples is if we think this way. That I'm not just responsible for me, I'm responsible for others. So the question is, who are you being responsible for right now? Who are you thinking about? It's an interesting thing. You can learn 
so much about a person just by going to their Facebook page? Could it be that God might want you to eliminate certain posts from your Facebook page because you know that it might make somebody else stumble and fall? Could it be that Jesus is asking you to limit your own personal freedom with things that you with things that you paste and splatter all over your Facebook? Might he be asking you to limit your freedom for the sake of other people that you're thinking about them instead of yourself? By the way. The next thing he says, he says, he says, I want you to rebuke each other. <laughs> rebuke one another. Right? Like, rebuking one another is very, very difficult. If you, I don't know if you, I've had a lot of practice at it as a pastor. <laughs> Just warning people, challenging them. That's what this word means. It means warning, correcting, challenging them, identifying sin for them. They may not even know it's there. You know what this requires? It requires an incredible amount of time, energy. If you consider our American culture and the individualized nature of our culture, we, we focus a lot on our rights. I have my rights, you have your rights, and I, I, I would never presume to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Can I challenge you today to think about the new community in a different way? That Jesus did not have the American culture in mind here when he said this. He wasn't talking about a democratic way of thinking. He was talking about a new community that's so submitted to God and to one another that they were willing to build relationships where they rebuked one another and they forgave one another when they repented. And if it took them a long time, if it took them a long time to repent, they were still willing. Look, build, here's what Jesus is saying. Build relationships that matter enough to rebuke and forgive. Not the surface relationships. Not, the, not just the relationships at work or the relationships with, with, with even with your, it's amazing to me how many family relationships just become surfacey. He's saying, I want you to build relationships that matter, that are deep enough, strong enough to withstand a rebuke. At least our second point. The second point is he wants us to be focused on repentance and forgiveness. He wants us to be focused on, on this process because it is so difficult to navigate through. The idea of repentance. Now, people look at repentance and they think it's a bad word. It is not a bad word. It is an incredibly positive word because it means the end of you and the beginning of God. It means I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to only do what Jesus wants me to do. It is the most positive word we can say. We're very uncomfortable with this rebuking and repenting process. We're especially uncomfortable when somebody doesn't seem to be doing it at the speed we think they ought to be doing it. And so we, and so we, we have a hard time walking with them. Jesus said, look, even if you have the tiniest bit of faith, I can empower you to walk with this person. That's what he's saying. If you just have the tiniest bit of faith in me, I will give you the strength that you need to be able to walk with this person and tell them the truth in an attitude of love. 
Write it down, Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15, I've quoted it many times. It is a cornerstone scripture of one chapel. It is instead of all the things he's talking about there, he says, speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow. Everybody say grow. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into him that is the head, Christ Jesus. He's saying there that what we need is to create an atmosphere of love where we tell the truth. All the work is in building an atmosphere of love. All the work is making sure that you're depositing enough in that person's life to be able to share the truth with them. It's mandatory. It's pretty easy to pop off and tell the truth without love. What we need is a community of love. Now, let me just say this. Can I just encourage you that Facebook or any other social media is not the place for rebuking? I mean, you think this is funny, but all you've got to do is go out there and read a little bit, and everybody thinks they're in charge of rebuking the world on Facebook. That, that is immature to me. All right? Oh, I'm just standing up for what's righteous and what's good. No, actually, the new community needs to stand up for what's righteous by building relationships where we're actually seeing work being done, where truth is being shared in an atmosphere, an environment of love. It is not just a haul off and tell it like it is. So I want to challenge you on this social media thing. You know, one of the reasons we got a bad reputation in our country as Christians is because we just pop off our mouths all the time. Listen, the moment you begin to invest in a person, everything becomes much more personal. You can't just say anything and everything you want to say. The new community is built like this. We should be give per each other permission to rebuke. We should give each other permission to forgive. We should challenge each other to forgive. We should walk with one another while we're working out repentance. Now, here's the thing. The, the repentance and forgiveness and rebuking thing, I mean, there's a, whole, there's a series of sermons on this. It's messy. It's not easy. It requires time and energy, effort, it requires openness. It requires input from others. It, it, it can just be so difficult. But what we don't want is a group of, there's a group of people within our community who think that anybody who rebukes them is being judgmental. We throw out this judgmental word. You, can't, you shouldn't judge me. Actually, if you read Matthew 7, he doesn't say don't judge. He says make sure you're dealing with yourself first. Then you'll see clearly to take the the the. the speck out of your brother's eye once you've taken the log out of your own eye. <laughs> Thank you. The third point I want to make here before we just close up is you're not only focused on the new community, you're not only focused on this forgiveness and repentance process, you're also focused on the power of God. In fact, it is the power of God that gives the energy and ability for you to do the other two. This is what Jesus is saying when he begins to talk about faith, even the tiniest little bit of faith. Focused on the power of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Let's just look at that real quick. It's just over a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 
Here's familiar words to some of you, but the Apostle Paul says, but he said to me, my, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what this is really saying, I think? I think when you are willing to acknowledge your weaknesses and let other people in on them, the power of God shows up to be able to deal with both your weaknesses. The power of God shows up not to excuse one another in sinfulness, not to use grace like it was, you know, grease, Right? It's, it's a gift of God. I'm not talking about greasy grace that we just take, adv- take advantage of God to justify our sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a community that's willing to say it like it is and to acknowledge our weaknesses in community and then as we do, begin to work on them together. God's power begins to rest there. One of the problems with the American church model is we're so segmented. We are so busy. We're so consumed. We go here. We go there. Our lives are too full. We never get to this level of discussion with anybody. Is it any wonder that the power of God then doesn't show up as it's needed? Sure, there's a tacit acknowledgement of weakness, but that's an American concept. Well, nobody's perfect. I sh- I won't, I'm not going to judge. No, I'm talking about a new community that's willing to wrestle, willing to be a part of each other's lives, willing to invest, willing to carve out time to actually speak into somebody else's life. And that person might be a person at work who has, doesn't even know who Jesus is. And Jesus has whispered to you his voice, I want you to go after that one, and I want you to love them. You're like, I don't know how to do that, Jesus. I don't know. Remember, only thing you need to do is listen to his voice and obey. That's it. Once you start the obedience process, God will show you. God's power will reveal itself. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, what does it say? It says, we have this treasure in jars of what? Clay, imperfection. We have this, this treasure in cracked jars that aren't that pretty. Why? You know what it says? It gives a reason. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not about us. It's not about us. If we will be willing to take our basic responsibility as believers, basic baseline responsibility, think about others before you think about yourself. As you're serving Jesus, think about others before you think about yourself. Be willing to walk with someone, working out rebuke, repentance, forgiveness, walking through that process, and then receive the power of God to do those things every day. Crying out to him, getting up in the morning, Getting up in the morning and saying, God, I don't know how to deal with this guy at work. My boss is killing me. Or getting up in the morning and saying, God, I don't have enough money. I don't have, I don't have what I need today to pay the bills that are due. I don't know what to do. Would you please help me? Look, that's the first step. The first step towards the power of God coming to you. Coming into your life. But the second step is so important. And it is including others to pray with you.
and to pray for you. Going through it in silent pain by yourself is not God's plan. The new community is a place where we share all things, where we love one another and speak the truth and share what we have and are willing to be God's representation here on this earth of his great love for others who need to be in this community. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Just while you're there, just closing your eyes, I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And just nobody moving around, just real, real quickly. I want you to think in these terms. I do not want you to think in terms of, okay, I got to work on this. I got to work on loving people better. I got to work on getting, getting better at reaching out to other people. I got I to work on, on these things and try to make myself a better Christian. Listen, that's what the Pharisees were doing to God's people and to others who were sinners. That's not what this is. What this is is a moment to simply turn to Jesus. The gospel message is about turning to the one who can fix it, turning to the only one who has the solution, turning to the one who will give you the power that you'll never have on your own to be able to love people. You want to fix your marriage? You got to go to Jesus first and ask him for the power to love your spouse. You want to, you want to fix your finances? You got to surrender to Jesus first, and then he'll begin to give you the ideas, the help, the wisdom, fix your finances he is the solution and all he's not asking you to do things for him he's the shepherd he knows <laughs> he knows what's going on he knows you're incapable by yourself and his love is so big and so large he's so willing to gather you to himself to share his voice with you, to give his voice, to let there be voice recognition as you begin to follow him. That's all he really wants from you. And as you do that, you will find yourself in a new community of people who are all trying to do the same thing. Tell you what, would you just join me in a prayer all over this room? Let's confess our dependence on Christ. Maybe you've never done this before, but I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want us to pray this prayer together as a community of believers called One Chapel. Let's, let's pray this prayer. and Let's ask Jesus to help us, to lead us, to guide us. Join me in this prayer after me say heavenly father thank you for jesus who shows me the way laid down his life for me paid for my sins all my failures all my foolishness thank you jesus i trust you i believe in you i need you i can't do this on my own Please help me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a new start. Help me to be who you want me to be. 
I pray that you would hear that prayer and seal it by the work of the Holy Spirit. That you would give each person in this room an extra special understanding of that tiniest bit of faith that they've got in their heart to put their trust in you. Now I pray that that power would begin to reveal itself. Power to say no to sin. Power to say yes to your word. Power to be able to open up their lives. Power just to be able to obey you.